you will, take a copy of your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. And as we do look to the promises and the truths of our Lord through His Word, 1 Corinthians 13, this morning we are walking through the application of love. Today will be part two of that, uh, uh, I guess, in this chapter here, or, or maybe uh, in chapter verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, application of love. We'll, let's read that together, if you will. I'm walking slowly through these, through these verses. He says, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly and does not seek its own and is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices in the, with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. J.C. Ryle once wrote, that a man who is born again will have a special love for the disciples of Christ, true disciples of Christ. He says, like his Father in heaven, he loves all men with a great general love, but he has a special love for those who share the same faith in Christ. Like his Lord and Savior, the man loves the worst of sinners and will weep over them. But he has a peculiar love for those who are believers. He is never so much at home as when he is in their company. FBC, love is the defining characteristic of a church, of a local church, the, 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 the faith family. And we are seeing this in through chapter 13. I know we've had a couple weeks break from this, but we, we did see a couple weeks ago, love is patient and love is kind, and you can grab those, that, that sermon on the website or on the church app if you need to, to catch up. But, but too many times we, we like to define uh, Christianity as having a great love for the lost and the unbelieving. We think of the Great Commission and that we are call we are commanded to go out and we are commanded to to love the lost and to bring the gospel to the lost there's nothing no greater act of love right than to take the love take the gospel into the world and so we look at this and we say well many times we are to have a great love for the world the unbelieving yet we endure one another we just put up with the church the bible does not speak of christianity in those terms Nowhere do you see that, that Scripture speaks of where what we do as a church, where the people of God are just enduring one another. We're just, you know, we are called to bear with one another because Scripture understands that we are sinners and it is hard at times. But, but we're called to do more than just bear with one another. If you are more at home with unbelievers rather than believers, you have a problem. I'll say it again. If you, have, if you are more at home with the world, then you are here in this facility here, with this congregation, you have a major problem. As a matter of fact, the Corinthians had a problem. 
They were doing everything a church was supposed to do, but they were doing it without love. And that was what was causing all the issues. They, they worshipped without love. They used their spiritual gifts. They, they practiced the Lord's Supper. They, they, were, they were discipled. They gained wisdom. They, they preached the right things, or they were to be trying to preach the right things. They, they, they were doing all the things that they were supposed to be doing and much more. And yet, if you go back and you look in verses 1, 2, and 3... He says, if I speak with tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am, notice what he says there, I am nothing. It is meaningless. Very much like what we've been seeing in the, in the Sunday school class. We're chasing after the wind. All that you're doing is you're just chasing after the wind because at the end of the day you do not love. It is very much like a certain child psychologist, and the story goes that after spending many hours pouring and smoothing you know, the concrete for his brand new driveway, his own children come running across the driveway, leaving deep footprints in all of his freshly uh, poured cement, all of his work. And in great anger, this child psychologist, his father, he yells at his children some of the most unloving words to ever come from his mouth. And his wife responded to him, you of all people are supposed to love children. He said, well, I do love children. I love them in the abstract, but not in the concrete. (laughs) I was really worried you wouldn't get that. The pressure is off now. All right, good. I didn't know if you would laugh or not, but anyways. We all know that I am not the best joke teller. It is a humorous play on words. But sadly, the principle is true. We agree with the principle of love. We like the principle of love. It looks good. We, we want to think that we've embraced the principle of love. In theory, right? But when the feet are in the concrete, when someone else's feet is in our concrete... When the circumstances, when certain circumstances rise up, the question that you need to ask is, does this theory take on a tangible form of love? Is there a tangible application of love that is expressed and is shown to others? And not just you individually, but we as a church. We have the right doctrine We have the right discipleship practices, strategies. We preach the right sermons. We evangelize the right way. We have the right fellowships. We we do all these things that, for the most part, are right. But if we do it without love, then FBC is nothing but a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. We are nothing. And everything is meaningless. And so 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us what love is. It is the application of love, the tangible form of love. It is love. It is loving those in our concrete. What does it look like? Well, we've already seen the two of the first two, the patience and kindness. And so today in part two of the application of love, I want to show you three more. And these are in the negative. In other words, love is not so there, if I'm right, there's eight of these. We'll look at the first three this morning. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not arrogant. 
And so let us begin this morning with this first one here, that love is not jealous. The, the word here, jealous in the Greek, is the, is the word zeluo, zeluo, which is the word that for zeal within the English. Uh, you are a zealous person. There were some a little more zealous than others yesterday. But we were all here, we were all working, but there were, you could just see though that there were those who were just zealous to go out and help and be a part. There was a, a, a you know, there was just something bubbling up in them. It means, this word zeal means to be heated or boil, to, to you think of a pot, uh, you know, full of water on the stove and it begins to boil over. Why? Because there's a fire underneath the pot. The fire is, is burning, it is raging and therefore it's causing an action this is jealousy. It is a burning desire within our hearts over something, a constant thought, a constant actions, constant emotions that are all stemming forth from a zeal. And normally this zeal will lead to actions. Now understand there are two ways in which this can work, and then I'll even break it down even more there. There is positive and righteous zeal. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven two, For I am zealous for you with a godly jealousy. Well, the psalmist in Psalm 69.9 says, For zeal for your house has consumed me. So we see there's a, a righteous zeal there, a good zeal. I, I'm zealous to go and work and serve my, my community. I am zealous to come to church. That is good and positive and right and nothing wrong with that. But there is this negative and this unrighteous fire within my, within my chest, within my bones, that produces an ungodliness and wickedness. It's in the negative and unrighteous form. And it kind of will manifest itself in two different ways. One, you burn with a desire to have something that is not yours. So you look across and you see someone who has money and you, you want the money. And so you're, you're burning to have money. You see someone with a new car and you burn to have the car. You see someone who receives the, the recognition and the applause. And so therefore, you are sitting there and you're burning because you want that. This is unloving. This is unloving to, to, to truly desire. You are truly wanting to steal away from somebody and take it upon yourself. And it's unloving because you are not rejoicing with them, but yet instead you are envious. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six. if you remember, Paul wrote, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. How unloving is it, brethren, when you sit and watch your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you cannot rejoice in the blessings of God upon them. And I would also add, it is also a lack of faith in God because you are questioning whether you should have received the blessing versus them. You've questioned the giver of blessings rather than to have faith and be satisfied with what you have. So, so you're burning with desire for something that someone else has gotten. Or it takes on another form. It goes even further. You not only burn with a passion for what they have, but you burn with a passion that some harm would come to the individual. Now maybe you don't want to kill the individual. Maybe you don't want to physically harm the individual. But you would love for that individual to lose that which they've received. They receive recognition. You would love for them, for everyone to know the true person, to know the sins of that person. You, you would love for them to lose whatever maybe material possession they have. And so, brothers and sisters, not only is that unloving, it is very wicked and very satanic. 
You say, how is that satanic? Because the Bible speaks that Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour and harm the Christian brethren. And so rather than to be godly and take on the loving characteristics of God, you are now wishing the very thing that Satan himself wants on your Christian brother and sister. You desire the very thing that Satan desires, but to bring harm to them, all because they have received something that you want yourself. FBC, everywhere that we see jealousy in the Bible, in the scriptures, we will find chaos and destruction. Eve was jealous of God's status, therefore she ate of the forbidden fruit. Cain was jealous of Abel's approval, therefore he kills his brother. The sons of Jacob were jealous of their brothers Joseph from the love of their father, so they turned him over and sold him into slavery. David, David was jealous of the wife of Uriah, so he takes her to himself, then kills Uriah in order to cover up his sin. Throughout all of Scripture, from front to back, we find that jealousy is a horrible sin. And it's not only out there, but it is in here as well. Because we see it here within the church of Corinth that there were those who were jealous. They had a a Christian jealousy, you may want to call it. But it was very unchristian because they were looking at the spiritual gifts of others. And they were going, well man, I want that gift. I would use it better than them. They were looking at the wisdom of others and they were going, I want to be as wise as them and to be approved like they are approved. And they were looking at their pastors and they were jealous of their pastors. Well, I can do just as good a job as he can. Why am I not behind the pulpit? And on and on and on. The sad fact is, brethren, is that jealousy is probably very present even within our own church this morning. And if it is, then love cannot be there. The Bible speaks that where jealousy is, there is no love. And so you can call yourself loving all day long, but if you are jealous, the Bible says you lack love. You are a noisy gong. You are nothing, and what you do is nothing. And so here is the exhortation this morning. Ask yourself, examine your heart this morning. Are you a jealous person? And if so, you must forsake it. You must forsake it. You must repent of it. You must run from it. You must forsake your jealousy of recognition and status. Oh, how many times we just want the recognition, right? You must, you must forsake that of just envious of the recognition, but not envy, but it's rather than having zeal that you may serve God, that you may serve God and bring glory to God's name, that God would be recognized, you want to be recognized. You must repent and forsake your jealousy, spiritual gifts. Did we not see in the previous chapter that all that these gifts are given out to a variety of people in a variety of ways, but we are not satisfied with God? You must repent of that, brothers and sisters. You must repent of your jealousy of someone else's happiness and joy or relationships, whatever it may be. You examine your heart this morning and stop lying to yourself and thinking that these jealous thoughts are just thoughts. If they are there and if they are left unchecked, love is not present in you. 
And so I encourage you this morning to seek to know God's love in light of your own undeserved blessings. Name your blessings. Count them one by one. How many of us in this morning have time to be jealous if we truly begin to look at the blessings that God has given each and every one of us and knowing that each and every one of them is undeserved? Well, brothers and sisters, forsake your jealousy this morning. Repent of it. But secondly, not only that, we see here that Paul says not only is it love is not jealous, love is not boastful, it does not brag. This is, this is praising yourself excessively to prove superiority. It is like a, a parade of words. I remember uh, when Caitlin was, um, she had to go, when she was born, she had to have some, some surgery on her, on her esophagus and all that, and I, I just remember we decided we were going to take a trip to New Orleans, you know, for one of her visits, the doctor visits, and we were going to go into the aquarium and all that, and little did we even think of Mardi Gras taking place, and I just remember just the, I don't, just the anger of wanting to get out of New Orleans because you can't, because apparently on every street there is a parade. Like, I, I know there are parades in Jonesboro and there are parades in Winfield, but in New Orleans, it's not, you get down with one parade and you go to the next, you go to the next one. And you're just like, I just want out of this place. So I got out of there. No one died. Just honked the horn a little bit. But boastfulness is very much the same way. Everywhere you turn, there's a new word parade. Look at what I have done. Look at, look at my works. And once you think you're done with that parade, then they go to the next thing. And they're telling you, you know, well, in, in, in my, you know, financially, I make these decisions and I do this. And I, I've done this. You haven't done this. And so, therefore, I, I, look how loving I am, right? And it's just in every day, it's, oh, it's like you can't get out of it. You can't get away from the individual because they're constantly boasting in themselves. And if social media, you know, it came along and it made things worse because now we can post pictures of all of our things. Now we can do the humble brags. And no matter how many humble words you put in your brag, newsflash, it is still a brag. And, it does the, and you're also not bragging, you're lying because there's no humility there. Bragging literally is an individual stretching his arm, and apparently I can't stretch this far today, but patting himself on the back for how superior and how good he or she is. Beloved, love is not boastful. It doesn't try to prove itself with a word parade of its own accomplishments. Christian love does not promote itself through vain displays of one's worth, achievements, no, love works behind the scenes. Boastfulness is the parade. It is, it is above. It is everyone to see. But Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. So translation, do not parade your love around. And so this is what the Pharisees would do. They would parade themselves and they would go and they would stand in the streets and they would let everyone know and they would say these wonderful prayers and people would just applaud them and they were so boastful. This is not love. Why? Because if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love. I'm a noisy gong. 
brothers and sisters, your love is not a love for God or a love for others. It is a love for self. And where there is a love for self, there is no love for the neighbor or for God. And therefore, it is sin. It is sin. Even if you are bragging about all the righteous and religious things you do, you see, your jealousy and bragging, they're really the same sides of, of the, uh, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. You see, it's not only is it a sin that you don't love God and your neighbor but yourself, it is also a sin that you're actually causing your brethren to sin. You say, look at what I have done. Because deep down, you want those around you to be what? Jealous. So you're not only boasting in yourself. You're not only loving yourself more than anyone else. You want others to be jealous of you, causing them to sin. Again, how satanic. How wicked is that wanting others to fall C.S. Lewis says bragging is the utmost evil. And yet we find it here in the Corinthian church where they were bragging about their wisdom. Look how wise we are. We were, they were bragging about their liberties and their conscience. And we see this today. We see this in the midst of COVID where there are those, there are people on different sides of the aisle who have a different conscience when it deals with COVID and things. And we've said this. It's not a sin issue. This is a, this is a conscience issue. And so some says my conscience leads me to do this. And we boast about what, what we have done. And the other says, well, my conscience says, I, I can do this. And it's all patting ourselves on the back. And none of it can be loving. Because it's devoid of love for God and neighbor. Because it's about us. We, we, we see the issue of love of achievements and we're no different. We see the, the issue of love for money. Yet we, we, we show, we, or we boast of the issue of money given to the church. The boast of our achievements in church. We boast of our wisdom. So the exhortation, brothers and sisters, this morning, when it comes to the issue of bragging, is that you must examine yourself. Whether you do it in a crowd or whether you do it on social media or whether you do it, you know, between just you and one other person or just between you and God. And so we'll look at just a moment the Pharisee who's in the temple and he looks to God and he boasts of God and he says, Oh God, I have done all of these things for you. It is sin. And Paul says you must repent. You must forsake this lifestyle, this, this love of self. It is Because if you do not, you're in grave danger of stealing the spotlight of God. You are pointing people to yourself rather than God. Not only tempting them to sin and making void and meaningless all the works of the church because of your boasting. Here's my encouragement for you this morning, brethren. If you are a boaster, if you are a braggart, may I suggest to you this morning that you turn the focus on what you boast in. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, but he said to me, he says, by grace, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, brethren, would you not join in that parade? Father, I'm not strong enough for this. Father, I, I, don't, I don't have enough of this. 
I'm too weak and I'm too limited in this. Boast in your weaknesses that we may then can boast in Christ. This is where the true boast is. I would call on you this morning, brethren, that you would turn from boasting in yourself and in your things to make you superior and boast in your weaknesses that Christ would be glorified. Look at the next one. He says, love is arrogant. And so here we find the source of one's boasting. We find the source of one's jealousy that to be arrogant means to, to inflate. It's the pumping up the, the basketball or whatever, filling the tire up on the, the lawnmower. You are inflating it. Well, you are inflating yourself. You're inflating your ego. You have an overestimation of yourself. And so you have become prideful and you see yourself as basically being better and being superior, having all the answers and, and the, all the solutions. And here's the thing about arrogance. You don't have to let anybody know you're arrogant because you've already told yourself. And at the end of the day, we understand that this truly matters. But your arrogance will express itself. Arrogance is you, but you have already convinced yourself that you are superior. And this ugly trait was puffing itself and overestimating the, and flaunting itself within the church of Corinth. In chapter 4, we saw there that they were arrogant. Uh, they were arrogantly believing they were better than Paul. In chapter 5, they were arrogant, thinking, upon, open, thinking some sins were worse than other sins. So they, they got to choose. So this man over here who's in sexual immorality, we don't like. I mean, you know, he's okay. That doesn't bother us. But, but these people who eat the meat, well, they're really sinful. He's fine. They were arrogant. They decided what was right and wrong because in their own thinking, in chapter 8, the issue of conscience and liberty, this is not the characteristic the Lord accepts amongst His people. In First Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, He says, Talk or boast no more so very proudly. Let, let not arrogance come from your mouth. Isaiah thirteen eleven. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Christians, I cannot warn you and exhort you enough this morning. There is no room in the church and in the faith family for arrogance. Arrogance is not godly. It is not loving, true love the love of God will give us an esteem for brethren more than our own selves. It will raise the value of others, not ourselves. Romans 12, 3, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. If you see, I ask you this morning, does the wind of arrogance inflate your ego? Do you, throughout your day, think and convince yourself of how you are always right and you are never wrong? If you do, then you have basically made meaningless and void all of your good deeds. And you have deprived God of any glory and you have deprived your neighbor of any love. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to God. Be assured, it will not go unpunished. So not only are you being unloving, brothers and sisters, you are in danger of being unchristian. You are in danger of being a non-Christian. 
Arrogance does not reign, is not supposed to, to be the expression of the heart of one who has been redeemed by God. So the exhortation here is, are you arrogant? If so, repent. If you see that you are an arrogant, prideful individual, you must repent. Even if you do your very best not to even show it amongst the community or or amongst the crowd. But if you just go home and you think of how great you are and how superior you are, repent. It will not go unpunished. And it deprives anything that you do that is good of love. Matter of fact, if you want a picture of, of, of true humility here in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus gives the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the, you have the Pharisee who stands before God, as we mentioned earlier, who he looks to God and he's exalting himself and he's, he's arrogant, he's prideful. He goes, God, you must really be proud of me. You must. Re- I am so righteous. I am not like that guy. I have never done anything like that guy. I am a righteous man. And he begins to name all the things that he's done and all the good. But there at the altar, there's a tax collector. And he is on his face before God. He is kneeled and he is confessing his sin before God. And he goes, God, I, it's not what I have done. It, it's not what I, it's not, only not what I have done, but it's also what I, what I haven't done. And the list, God, is so long and he is just confessing to God his sins. And the reason why he doesn't deserve God's grace and the reason why he doesn't deserve God's approval and he cries out to God, oh God, have mercy upon me. And Jesus says it is the tax collector who goes home justified. And just so you will be warned this morning, know this. True repentance is not coming to the altar and praying. And going away from the altar and going, all right. I did what I was supposed to do. I'm good now. I I, I did everything I was supposed to do. I'm good now. True repentance, brothers and sisters. It's not walking away thinking that you are a great person because you said a prayer. How arrogant. How arrogant. I said a prayer and I did in front of people or privately and therefore I'm good. No, true repentance is that when you get up from praying, you walk away and you say how great the God of heaven and earth is. That he allowed me to get up in the first place. I have laid my sins bare before him. And deserved to be killed right then and there. And the God of heaven was merciful enough to let me stand and walk away. And not just walk away, but walk away forgiven. That's true repentance of arrogance. We make even religion arrogant i did the religious thing my encouragement to you this morning is to follow the into the words embrace the words of william barclay true love is far more impressed with its own unworthiness than its own merit do you want to know what true love is true humility is I'm far more impressed of how wicked and sinful I am and God loved me in spite of it. 
I'm far more impressed of how jealous this old nature heart is, this old wicked heart of mine. I'm far more impressed of how, how as, braggart, as much of a braggart I've been, how arrogant I've been, that God would love a sinner just like me. There's no arrogance there. There's only humility. And we think not much of ourselves, but we think much of God, the one who truly loves. Brethren, if you are arrogant this morning, repent. You do no good for yourself and you do no good for the church. You bring only meaningless to anything that we or you can do in our deeds and our services. But if you would, I want to show you something this morning. Luke chapter 7. If you will, just turn there with me. Luke chapter 7, just go there to the left. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47. There is a phenomenal um, parable that Jesus gives that I do think answers a question here. Why, why do we struggle with jealousy? And why do we struggle with boastfulness? And why do we struggle with, with arrogance? Where, where does these things come from? And well, he answers the question here in chapter 7. And let me give you the context first. I don't want to read all of it. But, but notice here, we see here in this chapter that Jesus, um, that Jesus is at the house of a certain Pharisee. And they're eating at the table. And we all know Pharisees were very jealous and very boastful and very arrogant and very unloving. And we see that this is true about this Pharisee here. And so this Pharisee's there and he thinks he's doing a great deed. Jesus, the, this guy who's growing up in popularity, has come to the... And he's brought him in. He's doing hospitality. And this woman who is a sinner. I mean, she's just, I mean they don't even say her sin. They just say she is a sinner. That, that we... Everyone knows that right there. That's a bad woman. No one wants to be around her. And so she comes in with this alabaster jar and breaks it and pours it on Jesus' feet. She's crying. She's wiping his feet. She's kissing his feet. And this Pharisee, and again, just because your thoughts of jealousy and boastfulness and arrogance may not come out of your mouth and may not be expressed physically, if it's in your heart, Jesus sees it, he knows it, and he considers it wicked and sinful. And so he sees the thoughts of this Pharisee who's just like, what is he doing letting this woman touch his feet? And so Jesus rebukes this Pharisee with a parable. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, he says, I I have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. He says, a moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another owed 50 when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which, will he, which of them will love him more? Simon said, he said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. He said to him, he says, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, was, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she since the, since the time... I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, I love this, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Where does jealousy And boastfulness and arrogance come from? It comes from an individual 
who does not know the forgiveness of their own sin. Or it comes from one who is a believer and who has forgotten what God has done for them. Has forgotten their sin and how great their sin was. And how great the forgiveness of God was to them. Brothers and sisters, they don't know the gospel. The gospel that says that we, are un, that, that we are all unloving and we are all jealous and we are all like this woman. We've all sinned and we are all deserving the wrath of God. We have sinned much. It's not that this woman sinned much and this Pharisee has sinned little. It's that this Pharisee does not know the depth of his sin. And because he does not know the depth of his sin, he continues to act unloving. He continues to act in arrogance and boastfulness. But the woman here knows her sin and she cannot stand to look God in the eye. And she falls on her face. And like the tax collector from earlier, she cries out in mercy to him. Have you experienced this love? If you have experienced this love, then you can know what true love is and you can express true love because you know that Christ died for your sins, that you didn't deserve it. He came and died and rose, that you could be saved and be forgiven like this woman. They hear the words, go, your sins have been forgiven. But this morning, if you say that you do not know this love, then please hear me this morning because you do not know the forgiveness of Christ and you cannot be loving. You will only continue to be jealous and you will only continue to be boastful or arrogant or any of these other things that are sinful that we will look at. Sin will reign in you from here to the day you stand before Christ and you will say, I was loving and he will say, there was no love in you. Your only hope this morning is that you would come to Christ this morning, confess your sins, weep over your sins and hear the words of Jesus that calms the storms. Hear the words that brought everything into life and hear the very words that can bring forgiveness and redemption to your soul. Your sins have been forgiven. And if you were to come this morning, if you would come and repent of your sins, not only will you hear those words, but you will walk out of here a changed person and you will know love and you will be able to love your spouse and your children and your community and your neighborhood. You will be able to love in ways that you never knew before. So dear brother or dear sister this morning, hear me. If you are an unbeliever and you battle jealousy and you battle boastfulness and you battle arrogance, the answer this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and who can forgive you of your sins and show you true love. But if you are a Christian here this morning and you have found yourself this morning convicted that you have been confronted with your sin, that you are an arrogant, boastful, jealous Christian this morning, Do not walk out of here like this Pharisee. Do not come to this Pharisee and go, well, they're only little sins. No, brothers and sisters, it's not that they're little sins. It's you don't understand the depth of those sins. And so, unlike this Pharisee, fall at the feet of Christ and be reminded of your sin. You have forgotten that you have been forgiven much. That your actions are not pleasing to God, nor are your actions edifying of our church. Well, brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. To truly love, you must truly be reminded of the great love that you received from Christ. You must be reminded of the day that you heard those words. Your sins have been forgiven. And this is the reason why we love this song and we sing it so much in the church. Is this, His mercy is more. For what riches of kindness He lavished on us. 
His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. His love is more. And if you struggle this morning, Christian, come. Come and repent. And be reminded of the love of God that covers your many sins. And stand and walk out and begin to love as God has called us to love one another. Let's pray.